Good morning. Welcome to week four of Advent, where we celebrate the emphasis, there is one. One child, one way, one love, and one Savior. Today we focus on Jesus Christ, our Savior, one Savior. This emphasis locates us in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign. You shall find Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. There are several features of this portion of the birth narrative of our Lord that emphasizes the redemptive message of the gospel. To truly understand these emphases uh, in a way that evokes a greater wonder over and a deeper commitment to Christ our Lord, consider five simple and very familiar questions. What? When? Where? Who and how? What, when, where, who, and how? Many years ago, when I served as a student minister of a large, growing, but very rural church, I'll never forget an encounter I had one Christmas season involving these verses that we have just read. The rural setting of the church involved several large farms, each with a large workforce. Close to the church location was an area of houses where the farmhands lived. One afternoon during Christmas, the wife of one of the farm owners came by the church office and requested that I help her with the project. The children of the farm workers would not experience many blessings at Christmas except for those generated by donations. So the farm owner's wife, Miss Deborah, was convinced this year was the year to truly bless them. As a unique gift, she had decided to give all the children of the farmhands an old-fashioned hayride, complete with tractor, hot chocolate, and cookies. Miss Deborah had heard me recite the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 in one of her Advent services and asked if I would meet her on the front lawn of the church at the manger scene. She would then haul the children by on the hayride, stop, and allow me to tell them the real Christmas story. I was not expecting what happened next. As a college student striving to graduate while serving full-time as student minister, I must admit, I felt a bit of a pinch on my afternoon that I had dedicated to my studies. Nonetheless, I stopped my self-imposed busy schedule and proceeded to plan for what I would say to this traveling congregation of third and fourth graders celebrating a hayride and souped up on hot chocolate. The children arrived by hayride, Miss Deborah driving with a missional excitement and anticipation. She pulled the wagon up parallel to the manger scene, shut off that old rickety diesel engine, and said to me, 
Okay, they're all yours. As I opened my mouth to give my well-rehearsed summary of the Christmas story, a bit nervous that I would not connect with a crowd of children I did not know, I began, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a, and a little boy's hand went up. Who is that man? As he pointed to a wood carving of Joseph. I gave a quick answer and continued. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing, a little girl's hand raised, and she said out loud, Who is that woman? Again, I gave a brief but detailed answer, and then I continued my rehearsed recitation. And Joseph went up out of Galilee from Nazareth, <laughs> this time, realizing this well-rehearsed college student could be easily derailed, all the hands went up. Who is that farmer with the sheep? Who are those funny dressed people with gifts kneeling? Why is that big star there? And on and on the questions came. <laughs> Miss Deborah sat atop of her John Deere tractor in her flannel wool collared coat, sipping her own cup of cocoa and waiting wistfully to see what this up and coming young preacher might do. I was a bit paralyzed for a moment with all the questions coming at once. And then, as the children's voice quieted, a little girl nestled against the railing of the wagon, lifted her hand, and asked, Who's the baby? The other children chimed in, following the cue of what appeared to be the youngest child among them, and they all said, Yeah, who's the baby? You know, I then realized this was indeed a moment for the gospel story and not just a simple recitation of the Christmas story at the end of a hayride. These children had not heard and Miss Deborah knew it. But she also knew that I had been very busy that Christmas season, fulfilling all the church's expectations and trying to graduate. And later I learned she thought that possibly Ken could use a good reminder as well. So there I stood with this little congregation of elementary students of different ethnicities who had a lot of challenges in life, and they simply wanted to know, hey, who's the baby? So I crawled into the wagon, and I sat down with them, and I began to answer their questions. The what, the when, the where, the who, and the how. And today, I desire to do the same with you. There are five simple questions the divinely ordered hayride gang attributed to the nativity that day, and they become our most effective way to embrace the story, and most importantly, the one who's in the manger. I finished the story with the children and answered all their questions, every one, and even shared how they could pray and invite Jesus into their lives because I shared with them the baby in the manger grew up and, and died on the cross for them. I learned uh, days later that Miss Deborah followed up with the children and at least two of the older children prayed to receive Jesus. So today, who knows what God could do in your life by facing these five simple questions. Five questions interrogatives, if you will, to ask of this event. 
Question number one, what? What is this about? Good tidings of great joy for all people. This announcement falls upon the backdrop of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, as Caesar attempted to establish through his monarchy what would come, become a global and, at least he thought, an everlasting success. But as always, history eventually exposes uh, such attempts as temporary but fallible and eventually failures, uh, to say the least. The only sure good news of divine content proclaims the message of God's love made known through his son. This news, good tidings of great joy, overshadowed the most powerful man on earth at that time, Caesar, as all of heaven showed up on the scene to proclaim the mighty news of the one who was born. Interestingly, the verb from the angels, I bring good news, derives from the old word for good tidings from which we translate gospel. The good news represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we read good news for all people, which demonstrates God's covenant with Israel and then through Christ to all who trust him. In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, if we read forward a bit, we come across Simeon's song. And from his song, this gives a full expression of the emphasis. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. What was happening in this portion of the birth narrative? The message of Jesus, the good news was proclaimed. Promises fulfilled. A covenant love established for all who would trust in the name of Jesus. This answers what was happening. Good news was happening. Now on to the next question. We've answered what. Now question number two. When? When did this happen? This day. Do you remember what the angel said? This day is born to you. This represents the perfect completion of time. Born to you this day. Galatians 4 verse 4 reminds us that God sent his son in the fullness of time. Now, the previous verses, verses 1 through 7, revealed that God moved through the affairs of the nations to bring about his plan. As we remember from Old Testament history, God used Cyrus to achieve his purpose for his people. This is recorded in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Caesar and others like him thought... He was in control or could control, but this timing, the when, revealed that God's way will always be performed in God's time. Today, Luke often used this term for today in reference to the day of salvation. In, in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, I, I love how this theme continues. In Luke 4, 21, uh, this is what we, we read. He began by saying, meaning Jesus, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. In Luke 5, verse 26, we hear a very similar emphasis. 
Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and they said, we have seen incredible things this day. On and on throughout the gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 28, chapter 13, chapter 19, chapter 22, and even chapter 23, verse 43, all give a demonstration of this, of this word today, emphasizing now. And this represents what we've read from the birth narrative, born to you this day, the fulfillment of God's time for the Savior to come. Now on to the third question. Where? We read, the angel said, born to you this day in the city of David, in the town of David. Now this demonstrates the fulfillment of prophecy from Micah, from 2 Samuel chapter 7, from Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, and from many other references. Now this also confirms Gabriel's announcement to Mary back in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. And God will give him, meaning to Jesus, the throne of David. So this answers the where in the city of David, fulfilling the prophecies like we could not imagine. On to the next question. Who? Oh, we need to spend some time here. We've answered the, the what, the when, and the where, but we focus on the who for just a moment. Oh, this portion of the birth narrative really allows us to look into the lives of the who. First, the shepherds, verse four, uh, or excuse me, verse eight, they're in the same country where shepherds abiding in the field. Uh, the shepherds. The identity of the shepherds represent the first audience of the birth, birth announcement of the Messiah, and become within the narrative an anticipation of blessings many people of low estate will receive through the redemptive work and ministry of the Messiah. Wow. Second, the angels. The angel of the Lord appeared and then the heavenly host appeared. So second, answering the question who, may we take a look upon the entrance of the angels, the heavenly host. The host of angels offered with the announcement good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. Praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. Testimony. That's what the angel offered. Praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. Testimony that the Messiah would bring peace on earth under God's favor. The heavenly host offered an unimaginable chorus. Praise, glory to God, and testimony as they proclaim the peace of our Lord. You know, considering this heavenly host, Jesus is called in the scripture, the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 68, verse 17, this great verse declares that the Lord has chariots, thousands upon thousands. Daniel announced in his uh, apocalyptic record of chapter 7, verse 10, that thousands upon thousands of angels attended to the one on the throne, the Ancient of Days. The birth of Christ called forth the host, and they filled the sky on that night and sang of our Savior's birth. The shepherds, the angel, but third, we answer the question, who? 
by focusing upon what some would call the holy family, Joseph and Mary. Well, yes, holy, but not in deity, but as in being set apart as each was chosen by God. Mere human in their personhood, but set apart for the divine calling of parenting on earth, the Christ child. History has recognized their lineage and their place in the story of Christ's birth, but only as instruments. For God has brought this to pass, the birth of the Messiah King, Christ our Lord. And the question who reveals once again that God was indeed at work in the lives of real people. So who? The shepherds, the angels, Mary and Joseph, and of course, the highest of importance, the greatest answer to the question who proclaims the Messiah. The child born represents God stepping into our lives. So the who points to the real history and real people and real and sacred supernatural moments that announced and honored the entrance of Jesus, God in the flesh, the Messiah. We come to question five, and the question asks how? To answer this question, we circle back to the original question of what? The grand announcement, the, the herald of good tidings and of great joy. The birth of Christ became the ultimate news, the gospel. But how? How is the birth of Jesus transcendent? How did the entrance of the baby fulfill all that God promised? Born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. The good tidings of great joy announced, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, our redemption. The angel's message announced to the shepherds that today in the city of David, a Savior is born. The content of the message reflects how near the redemption has become for humankind. The angel called the newborn babe Savior Christ and Lord. The content reflects how deep the redemption of Christ reaches into our lives. Savior, let's begin there, is used here in Luke, but not in Matthew and Mark, thus signifying the intentional reference of salvation as the ultimate identity of Christ as Savior. Within Luke's writings, Mary referred to God as Savior in her Magnificat of chapter 1 of Luke. And in the Acts narrative, also authored by Luke, Jesus becomes referred to as Savior in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, and chapter 13, verse 23, and other places. And therefore, the intentional use of Savior for Jesus describes the fact that only through faith in Christ can we become delivered from our brokenness caused by sin. This became announced, proclaimed immediately as Jesus was born. Christ Jesus is indeed the only Savior, thus saving man from sin. The Bible announces no other name under heaven is given by which man can be saved, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, indicating that as deep as your sin, so as deep as his forgiveness for your sin uh, becomes demonstrated. The angel 
also refer to Jesus as the Christ. So let's, let's look at this. Savior Christ, meaning that he was the anointed one anticipated by the Hebrew nation for Israel's redemption. Uh, many presume the Messiah would major in military exploits against such governmental oppressions as those they were presently facing. But this title used with Savior, when Christ is used with Savior, the indication is that the Messiah came to bring restoration, not only for historic Israel, but a redemption for all that is lost. We read this in Luke 19, verse 10. He came for all that is lost. With this, he is conclusively anointed by God as the great prophet, priest, and king. So stated by Bible scholar from days gone by, Norville Gildenhouse. And I love that statement. This summarizes that Jesus is exclusively the one. There is no other. So redemption goes deeper than any other help or system of faith or religion. The angel said also with Savior Christ that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Christ the Lord. As Messiah, Jesus came to take over, to rule and to reign. So Jesus' redemption traverses deeper than anything that would hold us captive. His lordship resonates the understanding of kingdom rule. Now, this serves eschatologically, I know a big word, simply meaning the end of all things. Thus, as we read in Hebrews 12, 28, his kingdom is unshakable. His eternal rule and reign, meaning the eternal rule and reign of Christ over all things, will one day vanquish all that opposes his love, goodness, and holiness. Also, kingdom references the human heart, our own lives. We read about this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, which announces that the Father, God himself, has rescued us from the domain of darkness, that old Greek term resonating oppression and bondage, and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, the rule and reign of Christ in our hearts, which represents a rule and reign of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. How is Jesus above all things as Savior, Christ, the Lord? Oh, I share this story with you. Ryan and Morgan adopted a child from an orphanage in another country. They'd passed through all the legal processes in that country. Charlie was their son. But right before the day when they were to, to pick up Charlie from the orphanage, things changed. There were some political upheavals, and the country froze the process. No more children were going to be able to leave the country. Charlie could not come to Ryan and Morgan. So they decided to go to him. They flew over from the U.S. and basically camped outside of the orphanage. They spent half their time with their son and the other half lobbying the courts and meeting with government officials, pleading with them to release their son. After a few weeks, the wife Morgan came home, but Ryan stayed. It was at Christmas time. This was not where he wanted to be at Christmas, away from home, far from family. But here was a father who loved his son. And since his son could not come to him, he was going to go to that son. And he was going to fight for that son. There would be more days and weeks of struggle, but wonderfully, Ryan was eventually able to bring Charlie home.
that Christmas, as Ryan battled corrupt court systems on the other side of the world, he became a picture of the kind of eternal father and the eternal hope that Jesus reveals to everyone who asks him to be their Savior and Lord. Jesus, however, went far further for us than Ryan went for his son. And Jesus didn't leave a country of privilege to move to a country of poverty. No, Jesus left the riches of heaven to come to a world of pain. And he did all of this because he loves us. He did all of this because he wants to be with us. He came to us to ensure that we could go be with him. And it cost him far more than a plane ride ticket. That's how Jesus is Savior Christ the Lord. He died on the cross to bring us to himself, to bring us to the Father. He revealed the Father to us, the perfect love of God, that he would reconcile us back to the Father. Corey Ten Boom, that beloved survivor of one of the worst Holocaust camps in Nazi Germany, once said of Christmas, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believing him. The reward of faith is that you'll have everlasting life. She then concluded with this statement that I absolutely love. Jesus could have been born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but if he is not born in your heart, you don't know him. Wow. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, proclaims this. This verse was written, of course, well after the earthly ministry of Jesus and was written to the first century Christians and to a young pastor that all would be encouraged in their faith. I pray you hear these words. The, the, this verse, and I'll read the verse before, describes Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Yes, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 reminds us that all of this, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love, all of this, has been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. There is only one. His name is Jesus. I love these five very simple questions, for they bring us more deeply into the simple truth, yet the very deep and abiding truth of Jesus, which began for earth in the story of the nativity and continued through his ministry his death on the cross, the resurrection, and he's now at the right hand of the Father. And he's returning one day for his church, for his people. I pray you'll remember these five simple questions. What 
when, where, how, and who. And, and the how, how was all this accomplished? How did the baby in the manger fulfill all of God's promises? Because he is reigning as Savior, Christ, the Lord, our King of Kings. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. Perhaps you have been told of God. Perhaps you have a belief in God. But if you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you only know part of the story. Today, I pray that you'll embrace the whole story, the entire story of Jesus. He came, lived, died, and rose again, that you would have life, that you could be brought to God. The only way to be brought into a true relationship with God and to know his love is by trusting in what Jesus has done and what God has accomplished through Jesus. The scripture reminds us, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved from our sin, from what has broken us. Oh, I pray that you've trusted in Jesus. I pray that you know him. If you've never had the opportunity to, to quiet your heart before God and to accept his gift of, of love and salvation from sin and brokenness, I invite you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. And God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. I believe that he died and he rose again. And I confess him as Lord of my life and I receive forgiveness of my sin and I give my life to you. Now you can pray that prayer right now. The prayer doesn't offer up any magic connotation. The prayer opens your heart to God and to his love, which transcends anything that we know in this life. So I pray that you open up your heart today and you'll receive the love God has to offer. There's no greater message of Christmas than the message of God's love given to us through Jesus and made evident when God appeared in our life, in this world, through the babe in the manger, our Savior, Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this message, for this Advent season, that there's only one. Thank you, God, that we celebrate the one child, the one way, the one love, and the one Savior. And God, I pray over every uh, one viewing today, listening to this, whether it be live or, or at a later time, oh God, speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Help us to confess you and to trust you. And if we already know you by faith, help us to live more powerfully and passionately for you. Thank you for this message that truly defines this time of year. Thank you that you came, you entered our world, and we know you through the love of Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And together we said, amen. Thank you for joining us. There's a... Uh, website location on the screen right now, forward slash more. Reach out to us. We'd love to have a, a conversation with you about inviting Jesus into your life. Or if you're a follower of Jesus, about being more encouraged in your faith. Yes, these are difficult times around the globe, but oh, the love of God in Christ transcends all of this and overcomes all that is broken in the world. I pray that your faith and trust is in him. Hey, I may not see you again, until 2022, but there'll be a, a service right here next Sunday and all through 
next year. Uh, continue to join us here. Visit us on site when you can. We love you a lot. Thank you for being a part of this online worship. Have a Merry Christmas and keep your focus on Jesus Christ. God bless.